going to draw our text today from the book of Luke, the second chapter, Luke chapter 2. And again, to all of our guests that are here, we are so delighted and honored that you would be with us today on this Sunday. If you are a first-time guest here with us, thank you for being here and worshiping with us. I don't know how you heard about us or how you met us, but we are so glad that you are here. And uh, uh, if you have never been here before, you're a first-time guest and have not stopped by our Welcome Center, please do that before you leave. Uh, the cafe will be open for 30 minutes after dismissal. And we just want to bless you and give you a small token of our appreciation for being here with us. And uh, there's rumors around. I don't know, and I don't want to be held accountable legally, but there's rumors around that our coffee is better than Starbucks. So I don't know. It's certainly, uh, it's certainly made with love, and we're doing our best. Don't tell anybody that we use a roast that's roasted by Starbucks. So um, that's probably the reason. Luke, the second chapter, and uh, verse number eight. Thank you, praise team. You were amazing this morning. I love how they did that first song for the season. Wasn't that cool? Some of you got thrown off because you started singing the old lyrics, and surprise, that was awesome. Thank you, Sister TJ and praise team. That was beautiful. Luke, chapter two, and verse eight, if you're there, say Amen. And there were in the same country shepherds. Everybody say shepherds. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So we're just going to, we're going to keep moving through this, but I want to keep context flowing. So who was watching in the field? There were shepherds. Who did the angel of the Lord appear to? To the shepherds. And the angel said unto them, who are them? The shepherds. The Lord said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is where? Bethlehem. A Savior, which is Christ. The angel of the Lord told the shepherds, he said, this is the Messiah. That was heaven's message to the shepherds. There is a Savior that's born and he is Christ. He is Messiah, the Lord. Verse 12, and this shall be a sign to you. To you shepherds, this shall be a sign to you. And here's the sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Praise God. Let's put our Bibles down this morning. Lift our hearts and our hands towards heaven and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We ask you today, Lord, that your word that is forever settled in heaven and has been anointed, that it would touch hearts and lives. God, let unction rest on me today as your servant. I pray, Lord, for strength and wisdom. I pray today for every man, woman, and child that's under the sound of my voice, those that have joined us online today, that your word would speak clearly 
We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus and let the church say amen. 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 Lord bless you. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to preach something to you. The title may sound a little odd, but I'm going to preach this to you this morning. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Uh, The angel of the Lord said to the shepherds, this shall be a sign unto you. Now, to be quite honest with you, we live... Uh, we live in a day and time where signs just can't be clear enough for people. Just being honest. Uh, it can't be clear enough for people. If you start believing in signs of the times, they think you're a conspiracy theorist. If you start believing in signs of the times and say it's coming to pass, they're like, oh, you're a fool. It's just a, history just repeats itself. And it does. And here's what history usually tells us. That the people who missed the signs the first time wish they would have seen the sign when it was in front of them. That's what history tells us. History tells us that some live with regrets for the rest of eternity because they missed a sign. But I would say to you today that the Lord spoke to us through his word with many different signs and even wonders. He spoke to us with great great clarity to give us signs. But here's the truth of the matter if you want to know something about the average American Christian. They would rather read a book about God and a book about the Bible than they would to read the Bible. They would rather get some kind of book that an author has written his opinion about the Bible and read that book than they would to sit down and read the book. And here's why they're missing signs. Because the signs, now there there may be authors that write prolific things and that's what we want. We want to read those and we thank God for people that take us a little deeper in the word. But I'm telling you today that somebody in this next coming year needs to refuse to read one more book about the Bible until you pick up the word and start reading the Bible. Amen. There is so much power in this book. There is so much power from Genesis to Revelation. There's well, but Pastor, I I I can't I, I don't understand the Bible. That's why we have to pray for wisdom and understanding as we read. That's why we read it over and over. I can tell you that after serving the Lord all my life and preaching for over 25 years, I still pick up the same book and a story looks different to me when I pick it up and read it again. And I know some of you are grateful because I'd be preaching the same thing every week. Thank God he still speaks a little bit. Amen. So today I'm going to take you back to the same text I did last week and we're just going to talk about the same thing we did last week. Amen. Every single time you pick up the word of God, why is it that it looks different? I'll tell you this. It's because it's not like any other book. It is the living word of God. It is alive. It is moving. It's a breathing organism that speaks to us. And I thank God for his word today. But people are always looking for a sign. You know, they're they're, they're always looking for a sign. Folks are living in this generation. They're like, well, if Jesus is coming, then show me a sign. I'm like. What's it got to look like? I mean, like, uh, years ago, and forgive me, but I, I like humor a little bit. And years ago, there were some guys that got together, Jeff Foxworthy and Bill Ingvall, and some of them got together and did this blue-collar tour thing, right? And so when Bill Ingvall, uh, I think is how you say his name, came on the scene, he did this, this comedy bit called, Here's Your Sign. You know? It's because people are always looking for a sign, and they usually miss them. And so it's like, he talked about 
different things. I don't even remember any of the particular jokes, but it would be something to like you're, 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 you're dressed up, you know, uh, in your Sunday best and you get up on Sunday and you walk into the living room and your wife says, you going to church? Like, there, there's your sign. You see what I'm saying? Like, that was the sign. You walk in the kitchen, your wife's got pots and pans out and you say, are you getting ready to cook something? Yes. Well, we got pots and pans out. Yes, I, I'm getting ready to cook something. And in this day and time we're living right now, you look around, pick up any newspaper, any news channel, anything you want, and people are saying, is Jesus really coming back? And it's as obvious as pots and pans being out that somebody's about to cook dinner. You can see the system of the beast in order. You can see the system of the Antichrist in order. You can see all of it. If you don't do this and you can't do this, you can see it. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. You can see it coming. I'm telling you today that while people are looking for signs of the Antichrist, I'm looking for signs of the Christ, and I'm looking just any old day now for him to split the eastern sky. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Praise God. I can tell you one thing I found out in the last few months. There will be some folks that attend church every Sunday that will not starve when the mark of the beast comes. Amen. They'll jump right in line, stick their forehead or their forehand out, whatever they got to do, and they'll get it done. Because they don't recognize signs. And signs are everywhere. And I'm going to tell you a dangerous place to be in this hour right now. You hear me? This is not what I came to preach fully. But I want to tell you, one of the most dangerous places to be is in the middle of an apostolic church that is full of power and authority and be asleep. It's a sad day when the world is recognizing signs that the church is missing. People are crawling out of the woodwork saying, I'm not going to bow down to that. I hadn't walked through the doors of a church for 30 years. And they recognize the systems of darkness that are moving and working in the earth. I'm telling you today, if you're looking for a sign, the signs are everywhere. And here's what I'm telling you. The signs are pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming again. So, for all of human history, there were signs that there would be a Messiah. It starts in the very beginning. If you've ever taught uh, Search for Truth or you've ever taught in, uh, uh, Exploring God's Word or any Bible studies like that in your first lesson, you realize that in the very beginning there's a messianic prophecy. It begins right in the beginning uh, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. This is a messianic prophecy. It's a sign. Everybody say it's a sign. And so from the book of Genesis all the way through, we began to expect that there is a coming of a man that's going to reverse this. It will come through the seed of a woman and will reverse the curse that is on man by sin. And thank God he was willing to take sin upon himself and become something that he did not have to do, nor did he know or taste sin. But he became sin so that you and I could be free from sin. And it's the most beautiful love story that you've ever heard. That he that didn't deserve what he took came and took what I deserved. I want you to think about that. The stripes that were on his back. Isaiah prophesied in the 53rd chapter. He was wounded for our transgression. Bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes. Everybody say with his stripes. We are healed. 
So they're, they're, they're looking for a sign of this Messiah as he's being beaten and bruised. They're like, well, I don't think that's really him. Show us a sign. You know, it's almost forbidden to speak of Isaiah 53 in some communities. Because they don't, they, they don't want to deal with that. Surely that's not him. Isaiah said in 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Does anybody know what his name shall be called? Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. Can I tell you this morning that his name is still wonderful. His name is still Counselor. He is still the mighty God. He is still the everlasting Father. And he is still the Prince of Peace. They were looking for signs, looking for signs. They were everywhere. Signs were everywhere. But when the angel appeared to the shepherds that were keeping their flock in the field, he said, I've given you signs all throughout the word of God, but this shall be a sign unto you. Have you ever wondered why a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger would be a sign? I mean, really, why, why a sign? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it, Pastor, has to do with the fact that he was, he was being born in Bethlehem. That was a sign. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all pretty familiar with Micah 5 and 2. It said, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be a little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old to everlasting. Somebody say, show me a sign. Micah the prophet said, you need a sign? Yeah, it's coming to you, Bethlehem. He's going to be the ruler. He's coming. It's been spoken from old, from everlasting. He's coming. There is a sign that is coming to you. Understand that. We are most of us familiar with Micah 5 and 2, but not very many of us are familiar with Micah 4 and 8, which prophesies that he would be announced from the tower of the flock. Now, I'm fixing to take you down a winding road, so put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a fun ride. The Tower of the Flock is very interesting because we don't really pay attention to it as we're reading through here. It doesn't mean much to us. Thou, O Tower of the Flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Everybody say, show me a sign. Even the first dominion of the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The Tower of the Flock in Hebrew is Magdal Ader. The Tower of the Flock. It's in your Bible. The tower of the flock is in your Bible. Thou, O tower of the flock, the tower of Adel. Migdal Adel. The tower of the flock, if you look it up, get some understanding about it. It's about a thousand paces or a mile from Bethlehem, said Jerome, who lived there. Foresigning in the very name, a sort of prophecy that the shepherds at the birth of the Messiah, should pick up and understand. In Genesis 35 and 21, the scripture said that Jacob, Israel, spread his tent beyond. Think about this now. Here it is. It's still in your Bible. The tower of the flock. Jacob spread out his tent beyond the tower of the flock. Migdal Adar. It's there. It's in the Word. It is a physical place. It is a physical, geographical location. It is a building. The tower of the flock. Micah said it's coming to Bethlehem. And he said it will be announced at the tower of the flock. 
We believe that there is so much power in understanding the Scripture and historical records about the Scripture because it proves to us over and over and over and over again that this is not only the best-selling book of all times, it's the most correct book that there's ever been. There's no shadow of turning with him. So understand when I tell you that if the Tower of the Flock was a place, a physical location in Bethlehem, it was a place that was located that when the shepherds were standing in the field, they would have heard the angels say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward all men. It was inferred by many that this would be the place, according to Micah, that the Messiah would be revealed. Yet, they were still saying, show us a sign. There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. He lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I don't know much about his work. I've read very little about him through the years from time to time. Jimmy DeYoung, he lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, now has a ministry of some kind. Uh, but for several years, he lived in the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And Jimmy DeYoung stated that the Migdal or the Tower of the Flock, was a two-story tower that had been built in a pasture outside of Bethlehem. And then there was an archaeological dig that discovered the physical remains of this building that was known as the Tower of the Flock. They have uh, pictures of it. They have signage that was on there that certainly designate beyond a doubt that this was a part of the building that was known as the Tower of the Flock, the remains of the very tower itself had been discovered. But as Dr. DeYoung began to talk about the Tower of the Flock, he goes into some depth about some things that I think maybe you and I may misunderstand upon first reading. So I think it's worth us taking a little deeper look into the story. Dr. DeYoung explains that the shepherds in the field may not have been the lowly shepherds that you and I picture in our minds as little children in outfits on the platform singing Silent Night. Speaking of lowly shepherds that kept their flock, but there may be a little more to the story than meets the eye. It is held with strong conviction that these shepherds were not shepherds by trade per se, but they were actually men who were in the priesthood. And these men in the priesthood had a job because the lambs at this time that were being slain in the temple in Jerusalem were being birthed in Bethlehem. And after they were birthed in Bethlehem, they had to be taken on the 10th of Nisan to the city of Jerusalem where the priest would sacrifice them. But these shepherds that were watching the flock by night in Bethlehem served an interesting purpose as a part of the priesthood. While the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks, the shepherd priest would watch for the pregnant sheep that were in the field. And it was said of these shepherd priests that they would keep a very close eye on the sheep that were pregnant and ready to give birth to their ewe lambs. And they would bring the pregnant sheep at the time of her birthing from the field to the physical location of the tower of the flock. And they would bring that beautiful sheep in there into the bottom floor of the tower of the flock. And some of you are going to start picking up pretty quickly where I'm going because this is incredible. They would bring this pregnant sheep in there into the floor, the bottom floor level of the tower of the flock that Micah spoke of and that Jacob spread his tent beyond. And there they would watch 
for that child, that ram, uh, that lamb to begin to give birth to her baby lambs. Now, some of this is going to start making sense to you right now, because historical account would record that as soon as the lamb was birthed, in order to keep the lamb from laying on the soil in the bottom floor of the tower of the flock, these shepherd priests had a job. They would take that baby lamb that had just been born and they would take old priestly garments, undergarments of the priesthood and they would pick up that lamb off of the ground as to be certain that it was not blemished and it did not get dirty and they would wrap that baby lamb in the clothing of old priesthood undergarments and they would pick it up off of the ground and they had prepared their small mangers that they would lay it in a manger so that the lamb would not be crushed by the feet of the other lambs and the sheep that were in the tower of the flock. I want you to get this picture with me if you would right now. That a lamb is born in the tower of the flock. And this priest picks up the lamb, wraps it in swaddling clothes, and lays it on a manger. Yet the Lord said through his angel to these shepherds, this is going to be a sign to you. So then why was this a sign? Follow me closely. Why did the priest care so much about the sheep? Why did they care so much about the lamb? Because these were the lambs that would be offered in the house of God. These were the lambs that would be offered in the temple of God. And they couldn't just take a lamb that had laid out in the dirt. They couldn't just take a lamb that had been trampled because once the leg was broken, it could not be offered. Hear me when I tell you today that there were signs through the scripture that said not one bone of his body would be broken when he was offered. Not one single bone of the lamb of God would be broken. Can I tell you that people were looking for a sign and the Lord said, I've given you a sign and the sign is that he's coming. This lamb had to be spotless. It had to be preserved. They had to take care of this lamb and prepare it to be certain that after its birth it would be well fed and well taken care of because there was a day that was coming in the not so distant future that that lamb would be led from Bethlehem into Jerusalem and there it would be shown to the high priest and the high priest would look over that lamb and be certain that it had no spot or scurvy, to be certain that that lamb had never been broken, to be certain that the lamb was spotless. So I ask you the question this morning, do you think it was just a coincidence then that there was no room for him in the end? Do you think it's just happenstance or coincidence that Jesus Christ himself had to be born in a manger, in a stable somewhere? And do you think it's a coincidence that in the city where he was born in Bethlehem, the largest stable there was was the tower of the flock where the priesthood were told there's going to be a sign that's coming to you and do you think it's a coincidence that the Messiah Christ the Lord was born in the shepherd's field I think not I believe that when these shepherds who were in the priesthood went into Bethlehem and saw the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger Somebody must have exclaimed, we were told there was a sign. This must be the Lamb of God. Is this the one that's been prepared for the sacrifice? Is this the spotless Lamb? 
Is this the unblemished lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world? It was a sign given to them scripturally. It was personal to them. I want you to imagine this with me if you would today. We're going to take this just a little bit deeper. As the scripture oftentimes is very explicit, there are also times that it's implicit. And you've got to look a little deeper to find out. So as we began to compare scriptural and historical accounts of what it may have looked like in Bethlehem when Jesus was born at perhaps the tower of the flock, I want you to consider this fact with me if you would. These lambs that were to be offered as sacrifice in the temple, as I told you, they were wrapped in swaddling clothes that the priest had set back that were formerly priest garments, undergarments of the priest. I want you to consider this fact with me if you would. Could it be that this lamb being slain from the foundation of the world who was born to a virgin, could it be that on the night that he was born in that stable as he was born the lamb of God, I just wonder if somebody in the room said, here, here's some swaddling clothes that we could put on him. I just wonder if the first clothes that the Messiah ever had on his body were the clothes of the priesthood why does that matter the probability is very high that our Messiah wore a priestly garment the first night he was in the earth why does that matter because Hebrews 4 and 14 said seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities I'm telling you today that the Lamb of God was more than just a lamb. He was a high priest that was offered. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of God that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You need a sign? He put on that priestly garment. He wore the priestly garments. It was in the night of his betrayal that the high priest Caiaphas was standing there and the scripture said that as the truth began to unfold about who Jesus was, that Caiaphas became angry and he ripped his garments in twain. But the Levitical law said that if the high priest rent his garment in front of the people, then he could not be the high priest. Isn't it something that the high priest was standing there as Caiaphas was revealed to the people, this is not the real high priest anymore. This is the high priest. This is the high priest that put on the lamb skin, if you would. This is the high priest that came not as a king, but he came as a lamb because he was slain from the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, can I tell you that before you ever failed God and before you ever made a mistake and before you ever got it right, that God had a plan for your life and God's plan was that your sins would be forgiven. got a little time to walk a little deeper I'm not going to be here too long this morning with a little further study you're going to discover something interesting about this context of this story they would take these lambs go pick them up in Bethlehem during the process of this they would take it the 10th of Nisan which is Passover week they would take that lamb into Jerusalem for the high priest to inspect and make sure that it was all right this took place on the 10th of Nisan 
The 14th of Nisan was the Passover. And so they were commanded in the Levitical law that they would take the, the lamb to be inspected by the priest on the 10th. And they would take that lamb home if it was inspected and all was well. And they would take that lamb to their house. And they would protect that lamb for the next four days until the Passover. And then they would take the lamb to be offered as a sacrifice in the temple. But there was something that history records that we don't necessarily see. It makes perfect sense. We don't see it in the scripture, but it does make sense to organizing chaos. It was said that when these families would take their lamb home with them, that after the 10th of Nisan, they would take that lamb home. They would take care of it and guard it. And before they took it to the priest at the temple, that they would take their family name and they would attach it to the neck of that lamb. So that when the priest offered their lamb, they were certain to get the lamb that they took and dropped off as a sacrifice. They would get that same lamb back when they took it home to be full of that lamb. As their family would eat and partake of that lamb. Now it's a coincidence probably, but it could be a sign. That on the 10th of Nisan, the day of the lamb's inspection. That Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. Came riding in to Jerusalem. While Jerusalem was filled on the 10th of Nisan with people getting the lamb inspected. The lamb of God comes riding in to Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. Isn't it something that these families would take these lambs and they would put their family name on their neck? Kind of makes you wonder if there's any significance to this. We know he was born with a purpose. We know that he was born, that prophesied he was going to come. The government would be on his shoulders. It was prophesied he'd be born in Bethlehem. It was prophesied he would be announced at the Tower of the Flock. We see all of this. It all makes sense. We know that he lived with a purpose. He healed. He came to set the captives free to, uh, to fulfill the word of God. As he stood up in the temple preaching, he said, This day has this reading been fulfilled in your midst. We understand that he lived with a purpose. But I want to tell you this morning, he died with a purpose as well. Because the scripture said not only did he come riding in. On Nisan 10, he sat down with his disciples and break bread with them in the early hours of Nisan 14 at the Passover. But he was slain during the Passover as would be the lamb. But there's something very interesting that history concurs with and goes right along with, with scripture. That when they crucified him, the Bible said that they hung him on the cross. And when they hung him on the cross in John, the 19th chapter and the 19th verse, it is said that Pilate wrote a title and he put it on the cross above his head. And the writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Verse 20, this title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was near to the city. And it was written, this is your Bible right here, it was written in Hebrew, it was written in Greek, and it was written in Latin. Why is that important to us? We'll skip right past it if we're not looking for a sign. They put a sign on the cross and people were missing it. But there were a few people that picked it up because it was written in Hebrew, it was written in Greek, and it was written in Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews, the who? chief priest he's frustrated he's mad he's upset he goes to Pilate and he said don't write that what he said don't write that on the sign do not put Jesus king of the Jews on that sign 
He said, just put it on there that he said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered and said to him, and oh God, this is so powerful. If you could, if you could translate this into modern vernacular, country boy vernacular, he said, I've already said it, forget it. What I said, I said. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. I'm not erasing it, and I'm not taking it down. I put it on the sign, and what I said, I said. Why is this powerful? Because you have to understand the way that these Romans wrote things out. They wrote shorthanded. And if you've ever seen any depictions of the crucifixion of Christ, you'll notice that hanging there on that cross, usually in Latin Vulgate, you're going to see four letters written on that. But we know, scripturally, it was written in three different languages. In the Latin language, it would have been written I-N-R-I. Iesus Nazarenus Rex Iudearum. That's what was written in Latin on the cross. Somebody say, show us a sign. It was written on a sign in the Latin. Four letters. I-N-R-I. But that was not the only language in which it was written. Because in the Hebrew language, it frustrated the high priest, the chief priest. When he looked up and saw the four letters in the English language, or in the Hebrew language rather, which in the Hebrew would have read Yeshua Hanatsri Vimelech Ha Yehudim. The first four letters of each of these words would be Y-H-V-H, Yahweh. The tetragrammatron form of the name of God. In the English language, we pronounce it Yahweh. But when the chief priest looked up, he noticed that on the lamb was written the family name of God. Can I tell you that he wasn't just a lamb? He was God robed in flesh. And he came and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Telling you when the world walked by looking for a sign, they saw it. Yod hey vod hey. The chief priest said, I don't like that. Pilate said, Too bad. I've already written it down. I didn't want to do this anyway. I washed my hands of it. Too bad. Can I tell you right now? You don't have to like it and you don't have to believe it. But I'm going to tell you what your pastor believes. I believe that when the high priests and those that were in Jerusalem that day walked by, the sign was just as pure as it had ever been. That hanging on that cross was God Almighty manifest in the flesh. I believe they saw it just as clearly as you and I can read today. I believe that hanging on that cross, they begin to realize what Paul said in Colossians 2, that he is the image of the invisible God. And in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can I tell you, I'm glad he came. I'm thankful for Christmas. I'm glad he came. God manifested himself in the flesh. Put the family name on him because he wanted to be sure that the lamb was returned to where it was supposed to be. Well, can I tell you that that lamb, just a few days before that, before he ascends into the heavens after his crucifixion and resurrection. He walks up on a mountain with about 500 people. He said to him, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Because the lamb that's been slain is getting ready to dwell in you. If you go all the way back to the first Passover, you understand there were two things. You had to be covered in the blood and full of the lamb. Because in that order, you had to slay the lamb. You had to be full of the lamb. Isn't it something? 
that we were covered in his blood at Calvary. But we become full of the lamb when he said in John 14, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come again unto you. Can I tell you that when you receive the spirit of Christ into you, not only have you been covered in the blood, baptized in the family name, but you are full of the lamb when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you're looking for a sign today, I got a sign for you. He came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So for those of you who are wondering... What Christmas is all about, and you're looking for a sign, I'm closing. But I want to tell you, it's a reproach for our kids to believe anything different than that this season is all about Jesus. If it makes you mad, buy me four cheeseburgers. I'm telling you right now, I never saw my mama kissing Santa Claus. Never happened. Never saw mama kissing Santa Claus. I didn't. Because Santa Claus has never forgiven me of my sins. Santa Claus don't have the kind of family name that will wash away your sins. Can I tell you if you're looking for a sign, there's a sign. Unto you, he said, I'm going to give you a child, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. I find it interesting that people will open up their homes and invite Santa Claus to come in their homes, but I wonder how many days of the year you open up your house and invite Jesus in. Thank God he's not coming down a chimney comes to the open heart of a man or a woman that'll say, God, I've been looking for a sign. My life has been a wreck and I don't deserve your mercy, but I'm so thankful this morning that I came to church on Sunday morning. God, I asked you for a sign and today you've given me a sign. You want my life and you want to love me. I'm telling you, there are people in this house today that can testify to you. When they didn't have a family to love them, they became a part of the family name. And God began to love them in a way they had never known love before. Can I give you a sign today? He loves you to death. He loved you so much that he gave everything for you. Show me a sign. The sign's not going to be hanging on a Christmas tree. The sign was hanging on Calvary's tree. And I'm telling you today that the blood that flowed down from that cruel cross at Calvary is still flowing today through this house. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to tell you there is no sin in this room today that is so powerful that the blood of Jesus cannot wash you white as snow. I pray today that in this season we would bring our minds back together to understand what this season is all about. I was talking to a precious sister in this church this morning about how commercialized this time of year has become. And I fear that just as did the children of Israel in the wilderness that arose a generation that did not know the Lord or the wonderful works that he had performed. I understand that there's questions about when Jesus was born and more than likely there's no chance at all that he was born December 25th. But I want to tell you today, beyond a doubt, I want my children to know for sure that he came, that he dwelt among us, 
And so today, I, I want you to understand that this season is not just about the parties you'll go to. It's not just about the gifts that you'll receive. But it's about the greatest gift that has ever come to us. God himself came to forgive us of sins that he did not commit. But when the load was too heavy for me to carry, he said, I'll take the cross on my back. I'll take stripes on my back that don't belong to me because he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. If you came to this house today looking for a sign to give your life to the Lord, I want to encourage you as we stand our feet right now that you would step out into the aisle and make your way to the front of this church and say, Lord, I've got all the sign that I need. You came and dwelt among us, and we thank you for your spirit today. Is there anybody that will reach out to him today and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the Lord of everything that I do. No matter what I have to lose today, I've got so much more to gain. This is not about who agrees with me, God. This is not about who stands by me. You stood by me when nobody else would. Is there anybody here today that wants to go deeper with God? You want to go in a deeper relationship with God than you've ever had? He's the only hope this world has right now. You hear me? There's not going to be hope found in Washington, D.C. There's not going to be hope found anywhere in this world but from a cross. He is our hope. He is our hope. Reach your heart out to him right now. Jesus, help us. Jesus, speak in this room right now. Deal with hearts and lives and minds.